people probably think 422 podcasts, Mark has everything under control, knows what he's doing. But even in this episode, I somehow managed to underestimate the wind. Welcome to Program 422, Citizen Reporter, Underreported News, Global Concerns, me. They call me Bicycle Mark. I'm Mark Fonseca Rendero. And be prepared, because today, the wind, I, I did not take it into account. You're supposed to. I teach people to think about the wind, and yet somehow I didn't notice the wind in Berlin during this past visit where I was attending Republica. But I think the words are worth it, so I, I did some fiddling, and it sounds like we're in a 1920s broadcast tube radio inside a phone. I don't know. I don't know. Welcome to the podcast. It's going to sound a little different, but I think the information is well worth it. Enjoy the strange effect. And uh, hey, that's how it goes. It's a podcast, people. I'm glad to have you, but you got to deal with some of this stuff that I do. This is for the day trippers in the hipsters, uh, wars in the fashionistas, yeah. spiritual leaders practicing all the laws of attraction, the teachers who read the passages from the back of Vegeta. We busting off Dalai Lamas and flashing heaters, the last of the losers. Yeah. With the shooting, the thugging, and all the gooning, the spooning, and all the pruning, uh, the cooning, and all the tuning, yeah. the lies. You be telling the panelists and consumers, I'm helping them see through it. What? Get with this new movement, it's moving. Alright, hello everyone, we're here in Berlin. And it's Republika, the tail end. And we're sitting at the, the entrance. Uh, people are still shuffling by and talks are still going on. And I'm sitting with Ella, a return guest. <laughs> Hi, Ella. Hello. Uh, last time we were definitely talking about system failure. And, uh, and we always talk about the, the, the big picture and the, and the problems uh, involved. The big theme here at Republika has been activism. In, in its different forms and different areas of activism. Um, it's an area that you're also concerned about yep. and, and in some ways working in, volunteer yep. and otherwise. Um, and one of your concerns that you've brought up to me at different times over the, in our communication has been things ranging from the tools that we make to help activists do what they do uh, and help them while also keeping them safe. And then a bit on the... the ethics of those tools, um, which, you know, I think we'll get into. So that's sort of where I wanted to go today. Um, let's start, and we'll use examples for sure, um, activists and the tools that they need. Because we know about some of the tools they have. Some of them get a lot of attention, you know, everything from streaming video to, to speak with the public, to um, Tor gets a lot of attention yeah. as a way not to be... Uh, or to mask where you are. Yep. That's one of the biggest concerns with safety. Yep. Um, I don't know if it's these tools. Which tools are you thinking about when it comes to what's coming, what these people here are talking about, and what you're, in your conversations people are talking about? Well, so there's kind of two categories of tools. There's tools for organization and tools for outreach. Um, the tools for outreach... I'm really less worried about because honestly that's going to be where the user base is you know right now that means Facebook and Twitter and that kind of thing because you just have to use the media which you know people are going to be on that doesn't mean you have to use them for everything but if you you know if you're going to do outreach people have to you know be there to reach out to yeah. um, tools for organizing are a different story you know you don't have to do your organizing in the walled gardens 
Um, and you know, tools for organizing can be everything from the stuff that keeps you safe online while you're using the outreach tools, you know, things like Tor, things like whatever, um, to you know, stuff that is intended for communications between activist groups, um, you know, for handling media, for all sorts of different things. There's a lot of different niches, um, you know, and it's never going to be a single tool for us, you know, for, for everyone, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, we're seeing a lot of stuff in the mobile space. Uh, mobile messaging is something which a lot of people are really interested in. Because they want to get around what SMSing, which is subject to a lot of yeah, uh, government access or company. Yeah, involved. yeah. I mean, there's so there's getting around SMS, and there's also just you know SMS has always been kind of a hack. It's not necessarily the most convenient tool. You know, if you need to have group communication, if you want to have longer message lengths, if you want to have you know there's there's a lot of different things that you might like to have um, that where SMS is just really not quite the right tool, even before you start getting into the security and privacy concerns, which are significant. Um, so we're seeing, you know, kind of coming out of the Arab Spring, coming out of the student protests in the UK, coming out of the Occupy movements in the US and around the world, we're seeing a lot of new groups starting to kind of take up that banner of writing tools, sometimes for outreach, you know, whether it's like Avaz or, you know, a lot of those kinds of things, and hopefully they've, they've started to get over their DDoS problems, but uh, uh, it was kind of blowing up yesterday, but, um, you know, whether it's that kind of outreach tool or it's the more direct organization and communication tools, we're seeing a lot of groups writing, you know, writing new tools there, which is really cool. Yeah. Because somehow it, it, it came forward over the, especially with Occupy, but not only the, the great year we had last year in terms of movements, that yep. um, there's still an area that hasn't been addressed, a big need. Yeah, there there is a big need. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, people are going to use what's, what's at hand. Right. But, you know, what's at hand is not necessarily designed for what they need. Um, you know, especially in the area of security, but in a lot of other places too. You know, you you need tools that are fit to the purpose that they're being used for. Yeah, I'm going to ask you something that people would figure I know about because I follow the news. But, but in fact, I don't have all. I don't think I have many examples in my head. So I ask you: Were there many examples, be it in the U.S. or you know over in Egypt, where because of the the uh, tools that weren't quite uh, properly developed for the kind of communication that activists were doing where people actually got into trouble, where they were either uh, tracked or, or even uh, worse than that, um, had their communication used against them or intercepted? Uh, well, we see that a certain amount in the U.S. where, I mean, you know, Facebook data and, and email and stuff comes up in subpoenas all the time, comes up in court cases all the time. Um, as far as specific stories about activists... I've certainly heard a lot more stories from Egypt, from Syria, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, for instance, Skype right now um, is causing a lot of problems for a lot of people. It's trivial to intercept. It's trivial to backdoor. There's lots of malware being shipped along with Skype. In, not, not from Microsoft, obviously, but malware that's getting pushed in via updates, and, you know, via malicious updates and that kind of thing. And so this is something which is actively happening both in terms of um, the... But both in terms of just we're going to intercept your communications and take some action on that and then, you know, installing Trojans, you know, uh, 
you know, down to like raiding houses or shelling neighborhoods. So yeah, so they're, they're, this, this stuff is definitely being very actively exploited in the wild at a cost of uh, not just kind of organizational movements or moments or whatever, but lives yeah. and lots of lives. Yeah. And so you're watching, as best one can, uh, the world of tools being developed. Uh, you, you listen to the conversations, perhaps, where people are talking about what they want. Um, I sense you're concerned not just with the quality of the tool, but it seems like you're concerned with the the ideas or the, the, the motivation behind a lot of these tools. I wouldn't say as much the motivation. I mean, I think a lot of these people are coming from really good places. They want to help out. You know, they know how to code. They're going to step up and do a thing, which is awesome. I mean, I think more people should do that kind of thing. But there is a difference when it comes to real world on the ground experience and understanding what you need to do for your community to keep them safe um and this is something where i'm not seeing that as much i mean sometimes it's the tool which is well that's a really neat idea but okay you guys obviously didn't actually talk to your target activist population to actually figure out what their exact needs were because this doesn't, like, your deployment model doesn't make any sense or something like that. So you get that kind of thing, which is just, I mean, that's like, you know, straight-up standard uh, user experience problems where you just, um, you know, somebody somebody hasn't kind of, kind of dealt with their target audience closely enough. But there are also a lot of things where the the security properties that the tool claims to provide are not the security properties it actually provides, or the security properties that it claims to provide are a very poor fit for the security properties that the situation demands. Um, and those are both a bit more concerning. Mm. Um, I mean, on a very basic level, we were talking about how Facebook, being such a widely used example, yeah. is of course used for outreach. Um, we've come to accept that, for better or for worse. Uh, but you had been talking about how a very simple piece of advice that people do not follow, to not use Facebook as your actual communication tool for, for planning and organizing. Um, but then, I mean, the solution to that problem is simply for people not, to, you know, to become aware of the danger. Yeah, I mean, awareness is... Well, awareness is one step, but then they also have to have alternate systems that are better. You know, because this is, this is a problem. If Facebook is the tool that you have and you don't have an alternative, you know, then you're going to use Facebook because you're going to use, you know, everyone uses the tools that they have at hand, um, you know, for better or for worse. So if you, if you want to tell people, hey, don't use Facebook because it's going to get, you know, subpoenaed or, or, you know, wiretapped or whatever the, you know, I mean whatever the, the issue is, you have to be able to say, okay, no, you should go use this other thing instead. Yeah. You know, which is why, you know, the alternative social network movements and tools are important, and it's why it is important that those other tools, you know, meet a higher standard than Facebook does. Right. You know, if you're, if you're just aiming at a general population, Know, yes, you should take security seriously. You should, should, should take your users' privacy seriously. But if you are writing a tool that's targeting a vulnerable population intentionally, you have a much higher onus. Yeah. I'm curious. You mentioned it, and I, and I see, of course, a connection, uh, especially in regards to activism. The alternative social network 
movement or world. Uh, I don't think the average person hears much from that world until perhaps the social network is ready to to really go public and be used. And um, what do you overall? What do you gather from from meeting with people working on these types of sites? H- how's it going? How does it look? How does it work different? So, I mean. There are a lot of tools which are still kind of in development or haven't hit critical mass or this or that, you know, or really aren't kind of feature complete to where they need to be. I mean, Diaspora is sort of the canonical example of an alternative social network that hasn't really taken off, you know, might still get there, but is is definitely not really there at this point. Some of that is just critical mass, but some of that is also, yeah, there's a lot of features that are important to the you know to it being a functional alternative which are not there yet um, so one of the one of the things which is really important with most of these alternative social network models is the idea that you keep agency over your data you keep control of your data it's probably hosted on a system that you control uh, you know maybe it's hosted like directly on your phone or on a, on a machine at your house or whatever you know so there's no you're not sending your data off into the cloud to just sit you know, at someone else's behest where someone else can do whatever they want to it. Um, and that's really important, but that's also relatively difficult to just get working. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff needed to make that happen. Yeah. So that's that's one of the common desires and that, that uh, a, a thread that runs through all alternative social networks, that uh, one is your data will be yours and there will be ways to ensure that. Yeah. I mean, this kind of data sovereignty is, yep. is a really fundamental thing. Um but I mean, it's more than that. It's also about control. It's about saying, well, no, I, you know, I, I only want to let people do certain things with that data, you know. So it's not, it's not just about where the data sits. It's about who can do what with it, um, and a certain amount of it is also about looking at the interactions that you have, the interactions that you allow. You know, um, a lot of these tools are designed so they're not going to have advertising on them. You know, and they're you know paid for by donations or by everybody just kind of hosting their part of the system directly instead of having you know centralized services. So I mean, there's there's things about the economic model as well as agency. Um, you know, and then not having advertising implies that you can have a lot more control over your tool or over your data because there are no advertisers to say no, no, we want it that we want it the the tasty data that'll let us make money. Yeah. But so that also requires that these alternative social networks have enough funding sources that aren't commercial. Um, is that is that happening? Are there foundations, uh, or how are they funded? I mean, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, a lot of the stuff which is more aimed directly at activists, um, and this is, I think, you know, one of the reasons why we're starting to see more of these projects coming up, that there is money out there, especially for things like circumvention tools. There are, you know, uh, you know large national and multinational funding bodies which are starting to, to give money there, you know, coming from the activist world or, you know, uh, foreign policy world or various kind of things like that where they're realizing that, yes, these are these are pro-democracy tools that we want to have exist in the world. So there's funding there. Right. Some of it's community funded. A lot of it's traditional open source projects where nobody's really making any money off of it. Um, you know, which eventually becomes a problem. Uh, but there's a question of like, okay, where does the user base go versus the you know, you know, if you get enough users, you can start running donation campaigns and saying, hey guys, you know, we're trying to, you know, you all use this thing. We're trying to develop it. You know, chip in a bit. Yeah. 
So it's a mixed bag. I see as one of the things which I see is really complicated right now as this funding is starting to show up it's starting to attract a lot of new projects and developers who haven't worked in this kind of space before you know people who are writing circumvention tools or um, communications tools who are not coming out of the security community for better and for worse mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of this means that sometimes they are doing much better due diligence than some parts of the security community have historically done, as far as user experience and that kind of thing. But it also means that they do not have the security background. Yeah. Um, you know, and and as far as I'm concerned, like even if you're writing a tool that's aimed at activists, you know, you kind of get to screw up once. You know, you get to realize, oh yeah, we there's all of this security stuff that we didn't really get right. Yeah. You know, you get to do that once, but if somebody calls you on it, you kind of have to step up and say, well, okay, yeah, we screwed up, and let's fix it. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things which I'm a little worried about because I don't see that happening as much. Um, uh, one of the presenters, presenters here who has her own project said that the way she works, the way she develops, um, she actually doesn't want to interact too much with the outside world while she's working on something. She doesn't want people to say, you know, here's my experience, you shouldn't do that. She only wants to hear it after she's done developing which in the case of security tools, especially if we're talking about contexts that maybe you, you haven't been exposed to before, um, is concerning. Yeah, I mean, so the security, yeah, the security has to come into the situation before you release code. Once you've released code that says, hey, activists, come use this, and I can go install it on my machine, you're putting users at risk. You know, so you need to have security involvement before you've got code released to the to the general public. Like, you can do whatever you want until you hit that release point. But once it goes from, you know, this is a, a project that I'm kind of working on to this is a thing that you can download and start running on your machine, that's when you have to have had the security in there already. Um, if you wait until you've finished development, especially if you're trying to do, like, mobile secure messaging or any kind of secure messaging system... Getting that right is very difficult for people with security experience. If you do not have a security background and you wait until you're done developing to engage with that community, you're going to have to rewrite your tool from scratch. Right. Basically, that's just straight up how it is. Because I can, I will, I will guarantee, you know, 99% of the time you're going to have serious architectural flaws that are going to require a complete rewrite. And it's a much harder conversation to have at that point because then it's like, well hey, this is a really cool thing that you've done, but you need to throw everything out and rewrite it all from scratch, and nobody wants to hear that. And it's, it, that's going to be a much harder conversation for everyone to have than if you say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing, and like, I know it's sketchy now, and I know I'm kind of talking about vaporware, but can you come take a look at this design or whatever? And, you know, starting to engage earlier, um, you know, is... is that's the way you need to do it if you don't want to end up wasting a lot of effort and a lot of everybody's time, you know, is just having that having that immediate engagement. 
have these lessons, I mean, these are like lessons, in my opinion, uh, for people who are developing. I mean, have they been learned in the last year? I mean, there's enough examples and, and situations to have, unfortunately, you know, tried and failed and perhaps tried again. Uh, well, they haven't been learned in the general security community or the general software community in the past 40 years. So, um, it's hard. I mean, it's, it, you know, putting security up front is a difficult way to orient your process because it means dealing with a lot of kind of anti-features. There's a lot of temptation to just kind of wait until the end and, oh, well, we'll just, we'll test it at the end. Yeah. But... You know, maybe that's sort of okay for code bugs, but it doesn't handle architecture bugs. And that's where a lot of the issues for these tools are, is just fundamental architectural problems. Um, so that's, you know, that's what needs to be gotten right. Um, you know, and sometimes that's, hey, you're, you're using crypto wrong, or you're not using crypto. And sometimes that's, well, this is a really neat model, but the deployment structure that this is going to require for activists in the field is going to put them at more risk, not technically, but procedurally. You know, so there's a lot of kind of interlocking layers. In the security community, you know, we have a long tradition of like, okay, if you're proposing a new cryptographic protocol, you don't write a bunch of code and release it. You write a paper that describes, hey, this is this thing that I think I'm going to go do. And then you put that out there. And a bunch of people beat on it and say, no, it's, you know, this, 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 and this are all broken. You need to go fix them. You know, and sometimes they'll, they'll have suggestions or, well, if you did this instead, that would be better. Or, and sometimes it's just, hey, like, I, I don't have a proof that something is wrong here, but this part feels weird. Can you take another look at it? Can we talk about this or whatever? You know, depending on the community and the culture and that kind of thing. But it's, it's either way, it's we do this up front. We do this before we write code because we know there's no point in implementing a system until, you know, and, and you can have, like, little proof of concept, like, oh, well, this bit actually works sort of thing. But there's no point in actually really writing a full system implementation until we know that the protocol is right. And, you know, and that's what I encourage people who are doing a lot of these, um, you know, tools for activists to do is, okay, write up that plan, get people to comment on it, you know, ask people for help on security before you start doing this stuff, yeah. you know. Um, and I think the, the caveat for that is also ask people from the security world about the claims that you're making for your users, you know. Yeah. Make sure, you know, because this is, this is one of the things, you know, and then for, for the more general audience, you know, how do you know what tools are safe? You know, you have to evaluate the claims that the people who are making the tools are, are you know, are, are, you know, what they're claiming about the tool, but doing that without a lot of context is hard, you know, so a lot of it ends up being done on reputation. Um, if you want a good reputation for your tool, only make claims that are really backed up, you know. Um, if you want to help your users make that decision, educate them about why the claims that you're making for your tool are true and correct and valid. You know, so that then next time when it's a different tool for somebody else, they'll be able to use that same education and say, oh, yeah, this feels right. Or this, hey, wait, no, they're making this claim. And, and I know from this other thing that they said that if anybody, you know, that you can't actually do this thing, that's not technically doable. So, you know, what's up, guys? What, you know, how did you do this thing that's supposed to be impossible? Or are you just, you know, kind of full of it? Yeah.
I'm curious if there's someone listening who who is at some phase of the development process of, a, of such a tool. Um, do you have specific names or, or places on the internet where you would recommend people actually go to find, if it's not the security person, or perhaps the advice that's already been given, like you're laying it out here, um, in written form. Is there is there a, a good place to look for these kind of discussions? I mean, I don't know that there's a, a singular resource out there. There's a lot of information on secure coding and that kind of thing. But as far as getting people to actually give you advice, I mean, frankly, start coming to some of the security cons out there. You know, come to the CCC Congress, come to SIGINT. You know, if you're in the U.S., go to DEF CON and talk to folks. Um, you know, go to HOPE. Um, if you're doing something which is more crypto-heavy, submit papers for, you know, conferences like uh, privacy-enhancing technologies, although their submission deadline just closed, or, or FOSI, whose submission deadline also just closed. But, um, you know, I mean, there, there are a lot of these conferences out there. Um, just the in-person stuff that you're recommending above all. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, you know, you can... Yes, you can, you can find people in the security community and put them on Twitter or whatever. It's, it's harder to have an engagement that way. Um, you know, you can talk to the EFF. They may be able to, you know, put you in contact with some folks sometimes. Um, but really, you know, come out and, and engage with the community that does this kind of work, you know, because that's going to be your best opportunity to really get in touch with the people who are doing what, you know, what you need. So the... <laughs> From, from an often online person, and many of us are here, to some offline advice, in fact. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, Ella, thanks so much. And uh, for sure, we'll see you soon. And we'll talk about more issues impacting activism, the world, uh, the quest for a better society, I think. Uh, yep. Yep. Improvements. All right. Enjoy the rest of your time in Berlin. Thank you. Come up to me. Tell you I'm sorry Don't know how lovely you are I had to find you And tell you I need you Mark back with you here at the end of the program The audio adventure that I think it was I just think it sounds so funny It sounds like we're on the phone But we're not uh, big thank you to Ella, of course, and, um, yeah, the, by the way, the talk, my talk from Republica is now online. It's on YouTube, and I might put it out as a video podcast, so stay tuned for that. I haven't done any video this year. Anything else? Oh, we're going back into the world of drug policy, and that is because I've been traveling Berlin, Paris, Belgium, that's a country, and the first two were cities, and people are always telling me or asking me about what's changed in the Netherlands with drug policy. A lot of talk about the no foreigners policy for buying marijuana. I'm going to dig in here. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and talk to people. Some voices we heard in the past are coming back. I'm checking up. I'm following up. And some new voices as well that I'm trying to get. They'll be in the upcoming podcasts on the topic of drug policy in the Netherlands and even worldwide. So stay tuned for that. Citizenreporter.org is where it's going to be. You, if you're subscribed, you're going to get it automatically, so you don't have to go looking for it. You can just be pleased when the podcast is there. That's how this works. All right, enough out of me. Thanks so much for listening. I leave you with the uh, Mr. Nelson. See ya.
Star. 